0: right. well we're continuing in the book of Genesis. We're going to be in in chapter 15 today um, uh, of Genesis. This is our our 12th uh, 12th part uh, of of the book of Genesis, and we're going to be continuing into it, into the new year. Um, But before we get into it, I want to say this. I I saw this great, uh, I actually want to recommend a a movie to you guys. I saw this great documentary uh, called They Shall Not Grow Old. Okay, it's, uh, and it's it's a World War One documentary um, where they took all the old footage, 100-year-old uh, footage, and, and restored it and colorized it and even added audio to it. And it's incredible. And it makes you, like, see it in a whole new way. Because anytime you see stuff from World War One, it's, like, all grainy and kind of, and there's not a lot of it, and you just don't see that much or know that much about it. And so it's a really cool documentary. But... It got me thinking about the fact that, uh, that the Old Testament is like the World War I of world wars. Okay? You're not following me yet. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, like Old Testament, New Testament, like World War I, World War II. Like, people know way more about World War II. People will be, like, really into World War II. You'll know a lot about it. Um, and, and, like, you know that World War I happened. You know it was, like, some of the same guys but you just don't know quite as much about it, right, whereas you know a lot more about it. Like World War I, you probably know, like, uh, like you might know the name Archduke Franz Ferdinand. You might know uh, that there was, like, trench warfare. You might know that there's like, mustard gas, and you know that it was all quiet on the Western Front. That's about it, right? That's, like, you don't know a lot about World War I. But World War II, you know a lot about it, and, and same thing with the Old Testament, and New Testament, right? You know a lot about the New Testament. You read it all the time. You see a lot of stuff about it. You talk about it. You know those. That's where your favorite verses are probably from, unless it's from Psalms, right? So you you know a lot about it. Like, but the Old Testament, you don't know that much, right? You know some general things. You know, like, okay, I know it was in the beginning. You know the, the you know Moses. You know. King David, right? You know, some big characters. You know, there were laws and sacrifices and there's a big sections where there's a bunch of laws and and you know that if you didn't follow those laws or obey those laws or do the sacrifices, right, then you weren't going to be saved because you got saved through obeying the laws and doing the sacrifices, right? Wrong, right? That's, that's a, the big myth, the big problem that I see. A lot of people have with the Old Testament is they think, well, that old sacrificial system, that's how people were saved. But the reality is that was never the case. It was never the fact that they did those things perfectly or that anyone obeyed the law perfectly or anyone got themselves saved through doing the sacrifices the exact right way all the time because no one did. Salvation has always been by grace through faith always been by grace through faith. And we'll see that today in this passage. So that's where we're going. uh, And we'll see it right away. So chapter 15, it says this, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, I'll pause right there, right away. After these things. So remember when you pick up reading the Bible, um, we have to remember the context. Where are we at? What's happening? And last time, last week, we looked at the things that are talking about there, which is from chapter 13 and 14, where, um, Abram goes to rescue Lot, because there's a big war, and he goes and rescues Lot, comes out, he's victorious, he brings Lot out, but he brings all these other things out too, he has this meeting with the kings that were involved, the king of Sodom, and this guy, Melchizedek, and he sees them, and and we had a whole thing on Melchizedek, not going to get into it now, if you want to, if you don't, if you weren't here, listen to the podcast, check it out, um, but that's the things he's talking about after these things. After he's, he's come back from Egypt, he's split up with Lot, he rescues Lot, he's honored by Melchizedek, and specifically in that meeting, he rejects any of the reward or any of the treasure, any of the spoils of war that he would have gotten. So that's the specific thing that he's, that he's saying after. After he's rejected it, he's received the blessing from Melchizedek, but that's about it. He, hasn't, he didn't take any spoils of war because he says, I don't want you to think that I, that I profited from you. I want God to be the one that honors me. And so that's what he's entering into this conversation with God with that in mind, the fact that he had just rejected this reward for God's reward. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless and the heir of my house is eliza of damascus and abram said behold you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir and behold the word of the lord came to him this man shall not be your heir your very own son shall be your heir and he brought him outside and said look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them and he said so shall your offspring be and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Okay, so we see a couple things here. First, we see he's, he's telling him, hey, your reward shall be very great. He's reassuring him, yes, you were right to reject the spoils of war because I am your reward. I will give you your reward. But you notice Abraham is totally 100% fixated on this one thing. He has a primary desire that has gone unfulfilled for his entire life, and that's the desire for a child. And anytime we have a, a primary desire, it can be all-consuming, right? Anytime there's this one thing that we want that's out there that's lacking in our lives, we can miss the, the blessings that are going on around that, right? Because we have this one thing that that's the thing we're focused on that we're missing, and for, for Abram, that's what it is. And you see it, because re- he's relentless about it, right? He repeats himself there, where he says like, hey, I still don't have a child, and this, guy's gonna, this guy that not related to me is going to be my heir. And then he says it again, if you notice, he repeats himself there, talking to God, because it's such a, a, a desire for him. It's such, this, this one thing that he wants. And obviously for a lot of people, that particular one, a desire for a child when when there's something that's going wrong where you can't do that—that's a very difficult problem. Right? That's a very difficult thing to struggle with infertility, and that's what he's dealing with here. And I want to point out that 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 aspect of this it highlights the brokenness of our creation, right? It, hi- it highlights the brokenness of God's creation intent because that was his first command right be fruitful and multiply that's his intention for mankind so when we see that when we encounter people that that struggle with that struggle with infertility we can point out the fact that that is it's it's part of the brokenness of this world it's not what god wants it highlights the brokenness in our world and we should point us to god's design to bring everything back and correct and make all things right again. Point us to that, draw us to that. But for Abram, God does promise an heir. He says, no, there you will have a child. Now that promise is not for everyone, unfortunately, but for Abram, he says, yes, this is a promise that I'm making you. You are not going to have to live in this brokenness forever, even though he's not really going to be able to enjoy it in the same way, right? He's an old man at this point. It's a really slightly different, different experience for him. But he says, no, I promise you an error, and I promise you more than that. He promises him offspring as numerous as the stars, right? He says, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, that's an interesting, you know what's, what's amazing to me about that verse is that that verse is more amazing to us with the knowledge we have of the universe today than it would have been for Abraham in his time, right? Because we found out even it's, it's bigger than even he would have had a, a knowledge of, that there's more than he would even have the knowledge of the stars and how big it is and how vast and how many there would be. Okay, but we see there is a, a very important verse, maybe one of the most in, one of the most important verses of the Old Testament in this section as well, and it's this, I've highlighted it here for you. Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness, right? Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, righteousness, that's the whole game, right? That's what it's all about, because righteousness is being right with God, right? That's what that is, and so that's what we talk about in terms of being saved, right? That means access. That means that when he dies, he's going to be with God, right? That is the end game, is righteousness. So He's saved through this belief, right? God has given him this grace. He doesn't deserve it. We've seen that he's not a perfect guy. He's made a lot of mistakes, but God has said, hey, your belief in this is counted to you as righteousness. You are made righteous because you believed in this grace that I've given you, right? By grace through faith. Now, here's the interesting thing is what did Abraham believe in, right? That's the question is, What did Abraham believe in? Well, he believed that he would have a child. But he believed in a promise that's bigger than that because God had made him a big promise about what that child would mean, right? That he would become a great nation, and that through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He's ultimately, he is believing in Jesus— in the sense that he's believing in God's plan for restoration so far as it has been revealed to him. You realize that at this point, the information that Abraham has is as much information about Jesus as anyone has at this point in history. And so he's believing in that plan so far as it has been revealed to him. He's believing in Jesus and getting salvation, if not in name, in the promise of who this person will be. In Romans chapter 4, it speaks about this connection and speaks about Abraham's faith. So in in Romans chapter 4, we look at 16 through 22. He says, That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, and has been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. That's kind of harsh. <laughs> right? Some of you, that stings, doesn't it? All right. or this is you know people say the Bible's not funny but like that's funny right there paul (laughs) paul's funny he's as good as dead since he was about 100 years old or when he considered the barrenness of sarah's womb no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of god but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to god fully convinced that god was able to do what he had promised that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Right? So his faith is counted to him as righteousness because he's believing in the grace that God has given him. He's believing in the promises that God has given him. He's believing, he's fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He's fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that should cause us, us to look and say, are we fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised? Right, because for us, he has made promises, right? He has made promises of if you believe in Jesus for salvation, if you believe and accept the forgiveness that he's given you on the cross, you will be saved. Right, he said that he would give us a spirit. He would give us a new heart. That his spirit would come and live in us. That he has plans for us. That he has things that we will do. Right, he says to his disciples that greater works than these will you do because I send the Holy Spirit to you. Right, those are promises God has given us that He is, wants to use us for His kingdom, that He wants to work through us, or that He wants to have His Spirit flow through us. Do we believe that that's true? Can you believe in God who give, gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist? But that's an incredible verse right there where He says. He, God, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's huge. That's power. That, and, and can you believe in that? Do you believe in that? What do you trust God for? Do you think you have problems that are too big for Him? I think a lot of times we do. A lot of times we think, oh, well, this is, you know, this is just too big. I can't pray for that. I can't ask for that. I can't ask for something that big. What if... What if he doesn't do it? But we have to believe that it's true. We have to believe that he can and that he will and that he has our best in mind so that even if the answer, I think sometimes we're afraid to pray for things because we're afraid the answer will be no. Right? Sometimes we're afraid the answer is no, you're going to have to suffer through this. Right? But that's, sometimes that's the case. And, that, and do we believe that his love is big enough, that, his, that he's powerful enough to carry us through it? That he's good enough to bring good out of the worst situations? All right. We're going to move on to the next section here. Cutting a covenant in Genesis 15, verses 7 through 21. Okay. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, How am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down to the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they shall be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a, smoke, a smoking firepot, and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I will give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Kadmonites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Rephaim, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. All right, so it's kind of a weird scene, right? Kind of a weird situation. He brings these animals out, cuts them in half, does all these things, right? First, but, but, but before we get to that, he says, he starts it off by saying, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. right? So that's, he's going back to his origin story, back to Genesis 12, where he calls him out of his homeland and says, I want you to go to this land that I'm going to give you, the land that I will show you. Right? He calls him out of there. But we'll see that that, is, that that phrasing is repeatedly what God will use to talk about to his people. Right? First, he uses... This with Abraham, I'm I'm the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans. Later on, we'll see him use that same type of phrase when he's talking to the Israelites. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 12, he says, Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Right, so he talks about calling Abram out of his homeland. Now he's talking to them about calling them, I am the God who brought you out from Egypt right out of slavery to gi- again to give you the, to give them the same land but he uses similar phraseology it, that we don't notice in in English in uh in the New Testament so if we jump to Matthew chapter 16 he has this little conversation with Peter where he says who do you say that I am he's talking to his disciples Jesus is talking to his disciples He says who do you say that I am and he says Oh, the next verse. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Where he points out he's the Messiah, Son of the Living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And, and the word that we're looking for is church. So church In the Greek here is ekklesia, and it it means called out ones. It specifically refers to an assembly that is called out for a purpose, right? Those who are called out for a purpose. So his church are the called out ones. So over and over again in Scripture, right from the Old Testament to the New, God is calling his people out to live for something greater. This is what he does. He's calling you out of your old life to live for something greater. You're my called out ones. I want to call you out, bring you out, free you to live for something bigger, to live for my kingdom. We also see here that Abraham believes, right? Abraham believes that this is true, but he, he wants some reassurance. He's saying, how can I know that this is the case? We already know that he's believed but now he wants some reassurance. He wants a sign. He wants something more. And, and it doesn't seem that God is upset with him about that. right? Which is something that I think we struggle with sometimes. Of like, how, how much can I ask God for? But, but you know what? We see it in scripture all the time. Of people asking God for a sign. Asking God for something more. We can, it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to want reassurance. right? It's that childlike faith that he's looking for. He's looking for childlike faith. He's looking for us to trust him fully, but it doesn't mean we're, we're not going to ever have doubts or ever have questions. Right? That's not how kids are with their parents. Even when they're being good and being 100% trusting, they sometimes need that reassurance, need to know that you're there. My son uh, got a skateboard for Christmas, and and so he's, he's starting to learn how to ride it. And I don't even, I never rode a, skate, rode a skateboard. I don't really know what, how to teach him, but he, he, like, it's been a process of me basically, like, helping him to do it, and I'm, like, slowly fading back from, like, first, I was, like, holding his hands the whole way, and then I was, like, okay, one hand, then it was, okay, just walk next to me, then I was, like, okay, go to the end where you can catch me, right, and that's oftentimes how it is with us in God. We, he's, he understands that, right, he's a father. He understands that we need support, that we need help from him, that if we're going to live for him, if we're going to step out, that sometimes we need some reassurance. We need to know that he's there. And so we can be real with him. We can tell him and we're having doubts. We can tell him, God, I need some reassurance. God, I need something more from you. I trust you, but I, I, I just need more from you. That's okay. To be honest, to be real with him. He understands that that's who that's we are. He, he knows us. He knows us. And so then we see God actually act. And he he tells them, okay, get these these birds, cut them, and lay them out. And then he gives them this prophecy, right? He puts them to sleep, and he gives them this prophecy that uh, that basically predicts Israel's slavery in Egypt, right? We know that 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 happens, right? It, It ends up being fulfilled. He told Abraham about it before this, before that ever happened, right, a long time before it ever happened, it actually happens. They are slaves in Egypt. We know that to be true. And then we see this whole process of, of God cutting a covenant with him. I phrase it that way because the word covenant comes from the word to cut, right? This process, this is literally where, where it comes from. And at this time, this is how people made covenants, right? This would be, this isn't just some weird thing that God's inventing and having him do this is a process that that happened all the time where if two kings were going to make uh, a covenant together make some kind of treaty together they would do this get animals cut them in half and then they would both walk between them and the, the the vow would basically be like if i break this covenant may what happened to these animals happen to me that's basically what the message was. It was like, I'm going to walk between these animals, and if, if I break my word, let this happen to me. Let me be div- like split in two. Um, so it was a common way that two parties would make a covenant together. But the interesting thing here is that as they make this covenant, Abraham is asleep, and only God symbolically passes through. So what is he saying? God is saying, I'm going to do this no matter what right i am going to do this regardless of what you do god is going to keep his covenant keep these promises <coughs> regardless of what abraham does this is god saying i am going to do these things i am going to make this happen it's by grace through faith it's 100 god's god at work that god's going to keep these promises to abraham so Abraham isn't even, he's not active at all. He's like passed out. He's asleep as this is happening. All right. How should we then live? So, so based on this, what, what can we pull out of this? What can we take from this? How should we then live? We have three things here that I, that I have for you. First is uh, believe in God's plan for the restoration of his creation intent. Right? See, we've been, we've been painting this picture. Hopefully you've been getting it of God's big plan for all of history right that from the beginning he had this this creation intent it was broken and now he's been in the process of restoring it we're we're following that story we're way ahead of in, in reality we're ahead of where we're at in the scripture here but you can see this bigger plan and i think seeing that bigger plan helps us in the, it, it takes a, it takes the attention off of us right so often time in in american christianity it's all about like personal salvation and that's important but it's but this is so much bigger than that and when we take it off of ourselves and our own desires and our own relationship with God and we see the bigger picture of what God is doing throughout history what his his kingdom what his kingdom means and what his plan for restoration is it just becomes so much bigger and so much better and so much more worth living for than just our own our own desires it's worth being a part of. And that ties into the second thing, which is believe that God's plan for your life is greater than the fulfillment of your desires and that he has the ability and the will to carry it out. I know that's, that one's long and wordy, but, but I think it's important that we realize that. Right? It's, it's, it was true for Abraham. It was true for Abram. He had this desire for a child And and for him, that was just a very personal, like, I want to have an heir, I want to have succeeded, I want to be blessed, I want to have all these things happen for me. (coughs) But God's plan was so much bigger than that. And that's true for you as well, it's true in your own life, that that your own desires and your own imagination of what I want to happen in my life and what success looks like for me, God might have a picture of, of what that means that's way bigger than you can imagine. But that's way way more uh, complex, that's way more deep than just your own desires and just your own ideas of what would make you happy. And so we can ask God to reveal that to us. We can ask God, like, help me see beyond just my own own world, my own circle. Help me see what you have for me that's bigger than that. Because I believe that you can carry it out and that you will carry it out. And then lastly, recognize God's commitment to his promises. Right, God will fulfill his promises regardless of us. Right, God's promise of salvation for us, that's by grace alone through faith, that we, we believe in it, but it's ultimately him that does the work. It's ultimately him that lives through us. And so we can believe in that. And lastly, I want to tie that into this idea of how, c- how do these things we're, at, we're, at in, in the, we're, we're heading into the new year and a lot of people, our culture makes New Year's resolutions, right? We have ideas of, oh, here's the things that I'd like to change in the coming year. Here's things that I'd like to, to change. First of all, w- it tied into that, we want to realize the fact that ultimately change is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Right? We want to know that, that God's got to be a part of it. It can't be in our own power. We've got to bring him into these things. Um. Secondly, tied into that, we want to we use this process that's in, um, in Psalm 139. And we sang this earlier, actually. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, he says, "Search me I should have the verses up Are they there? "Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts." and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is how we can make those changes that are tied to our greater purpose, tied to God's kingdom and his plan for our lives and for history, is by saying, hey God, I want you to search me, I want you to examine my heart, examine my life, and say, what is off that I don't see? What's there that, that, that we could change, that, that can grow, areas that I can grow, areas that I can become more effective for you, that I can live for you in a greater way, that I can love the people around me better? And so we say, God, I want you to search my heart. I want you to reveal to me that if there's a grievous way in me, that there's something in me that, that, is, that hurts you. Then lead me out of it. Lead me in the way everlasting Call me out from those things to something greater. Let me show me how I can live for this greater purpose that you have for me. And so, as we, we take communion, we'll have the uh, the elders come forward now to, to serve communion. This is a great. You can go back to the, keep that. Just go ahead and keep those verses up there. This is a great verse to pray anytime we come to communion. Right, that we can as we, as we take the elements and as we prepare our hearts. We can say, God, show me where where, search me, and show me where I might go, show me how I might change that I might live for you. So as we um, as we take communion, I encourage you to do that to just pray pray these verses here, right? And then and then listen and and wait for God to talk to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning that we can come together. We can worship you. We can um, hear from your word. We can pray for one another, or lift one another up, encourage one another. And we can come to your table. We can come to uh, your supper, God, your, your broken body and shed blood symbolically, God, that we can take those things, be nourished by them, be res- renewed and restored by you. God, we know that that's ultimately what we need as we head into this New Year, we want more of you. We pray that you would be glorified by us, that you would use us to bring, to expand your kingdom, that you would use us to show your love to those around us. God, we want to live for that greater purpose. We want to live for your plan. I pray that you would show us how as we take these um, elements that uh, you would bless us. In your name we pray, amen.